0: If you're affected by anything you hear on this podcast, get in touch via manblues at gmx.com or at manbluesuk on Twitter. We're not qualified to help, but we can listen. Please don't suffer in silence. Hi, I'm Leon Deggs, and I have Man Blues. In this week's episode we're joined by special guests Red and Zorro. So Red introduced me to Zorro, I'd never met him before in my life. Interesting character and a genuinely beautifully organic conversation was had. But the most fascinating point about this particular episode is that Red was in Canada, I was in the UK, and Zorro was in Australia, and we somehow managed to pull this all together and make it sound as though none of us were very tired. And um, Spoiler alert, I was the tired one. Please, enjoy.
1: I'm in my late 30s now, but in my early 20s, I did go through a stage of um, anxiety for about two and a half years. Oh, really? Um, you know, it was just, I think because losing a father quite young, didn't really have much of a mentor in life, so pretty much had to learn life myself, right? right. Um, and being spiritual as well, like I'm quite sensitive to a lot of things, like very in tune, I guess I have a high intuition as well. Okay. And, you know, through that transition of trying to understand or make sense of the world, yeah. Uh, I think it just kind of all caught up eventually. And I was like, what is this kind of thing? Mm. Um, all my mates had no idea. I kind of kept it to myself for quite a while. Um, but I knew that it was just something that, you know, I was going to get through. It's just, it just a test in life and I'll get through it. It's just a matter of time.
0: Yeah, it often is. I mean, um, I remember like, because I lost my father when I was nine. And I just remember having a kind of a, a moment of rage when I was around at a friend's house and he tried to do a wet shave for the first time at like, I don't know, 13, 14 years old. He's trying to do this wet shave and he made an absolute pig's ear of it. He, he'd cut himself several times. He was bleeding all over the place. He was putting little bits of toilet tissue on his face and I just went, your dad's downstairs. Ask him how to shave. I can't ask mine. You ask yours. And he's like, no, it's fine. I'll do it. It's fine. I was like, oh, this... And that." that was one of the first moments when I kind of thought, yeah I've lost my dad and because I lost him when I was nine it was like you know I only remember the fun stuff that he did I remember all the good stuff that he did sort of you know moving on into sort of like my early teens I'm looking back and I'm just thinking yeah it would have been nice if I could have just said to my dad how do I do this I think that was the first time where I kind of went yeah this is the first time I've needed him and he's not there yeah yeah. it's interesting that you said that you got sort of like anxiety from it that lasted a couple of years
1: yeah I think it was just um, a lot of things right um I think also my mother, she pretty much dealt with depression and anxiety for probably most of her adult life. Um, You know, being an immigrant, not really having the support network that Eastern traditions generally tend to have, right? So even though there may be an absence of a parent, at least you have your, um, you know, your siblings, your uncles, your aunties, your maybe your grandparents, or even just the sense of, the local community, right? Everyone kind of plays a role in contributing, I guess, to the, the stability of like a child's upbringing. Mm. Where you might not get that in so much in a Western society because we're very individualists. Um, on top of that, we probably have very different backgrounds where they don't really assimilate quite well. Um, and it's either you have to become part of them, or you can lose who you came from. Yeah. Or you just stick to who you are and then don't really assimilate. And then, you you know, it's just that divide. And I think for me, because there's certain traditions that are, you know, it, I, it's weird. I won't say that they were gently passed down from my parents, but it's just something that I held on to And I, and I know it was just a non-negotiable. I'm not going to let this go. I'm, it's going to be with me for the rest of my life, hopefully. And I think that kind of struggles being in a Western society where you know, it's very common that people go out, party, drink, drugs, all that stuff, and not that.
0: Yeah, I, I was I was with you all the way up to drugs, but yeah, go on.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs> all my friends were into that, right? Um, mm. And I'd be amongst it, but it I wouldn't cons- be, You know, I wouldn't be a user or a consumer of of those escapisms. You know, I, I just think people are just trying to discover themselves, or maybe escape certain trauma that they're dealing with in life. But I just didn't have a way of you know escaping that, and I think that's how this anxiety
0: kind of... So, that's a little bit ironic. It's a bit ironic, isn't it, that you're saying that, uh, you know, your friends are using all these escapism tools and you had no way to escape. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. Yeah. These, these, yeah. These are really interesting conversations that we should be recording for the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> this exact, what you're talking about right now is... It's paramount for this, is, yeah. Is it unfair to yeah. to admit now that I started recording about
0: five minutes ago? So you mentioned about the immigrant status. Um, was that your mother
1: that was the immigrant, or were you also the immigrant? No, just my parents. So we're kind of like technically the first gen straight But they came, well, father came in the 60s, um, had a blast, and then went back.
0: I'm just, I'm just watching your IT literate friend destroy his desk.
1: Oh no, I, I am so sorry.
2: That it's just like me, just to make it that.
1: What it still came out of its
2: mouth? I don't know why it came out of its mouth. I'm sorry, guys. You're in the middle of a a, a conversation about your father. Please, please continue. I I, I won't. I'll try and be yeah. quiet.
1: He went back home and um found my mother. They got hitched. That was in the early 80s, and then came back. So you,
0: so this was Australia. So your father went from where to Australia? Where is he from originally? not that it matters cuz there's that whole internet thing that you, that happened a few months ago but but where were you from originally no 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 where were your parents from
1: originally though i had this same conversation when i was in beirut i was getting interrogated by the syrian um embassy i'm like how far do you want to go back mate like hundred years ago there was no syria like how far do you want to go back but um so father has a palestinian background okay. um but basically they were they were kind of they grew up in Lebanon, so you know, due to the the history that's happened in that region. Okay, so
0: now I understand why sixties and eighties then because weren't those times of incredible troubles in the Lebanon <laughs> Well, one could argue it's still going on, isn't it? Yeah, pretty much.
1: But my parents are pretty much a generation who've lived through war. Right. Um yeah, some of the stories just like, yeah, we have it really good and just grateful to be where i am at this present time so
0: and that's all true that's not one of those sort of parental stories where they kind of go in the yeah, air let's no, let, let's let's pretend that we had a really horrible life and these little bastards of ours this spawn no, of ours, it was, yeah. <laughs>
1: it was, legit. It was legit okay oh yeah so then parents got hitched, came over here and pretty much decided to raise a family um so we were like the first generation aussies as it, I could say that because that's that's how it works with immigration, isn't it? It's because
0: you were, you you were born there. So, do you are you um, an Australian national then?
1: Yes. Yeah. But well, like generally, yeah, when you're born and raised, you're they they're pretty much nationalised at birth. Um, okay. Maybe a bit different to in other countries in the world, but um, well, yeah, it's, it's of-
0: different in mm-hmm. Europe as it was at the time because my son was born in 2004, and the law at the time was that because he was born to a German mother. His nationality is german i keep turning around because i've got so i've got whiskies behind me in the in the cupboard and uh, they're all still yeah, there but the,
2: the listeners of the podcast don't see that we're not doing video podcasts remember thank you very much no. for pointing that out do i need to yeah. get my do so, i need to give myself
0: one of these notes yes nods and smiles yes, no, don't no, rick- no. Got yeah
2: <laughs> yeah so for the listeners we have put a notice up to remind us on this uh, show that we cannot nod nor smile we have to verbalise our opinions correct? otherwise you as listeners cannot hear us no and if anyone was to listen to the third
0: time that uh, we did the podcast together there's you definitely being told off for
2: smiling and nodding in fairness you were tired I was tired you were tired uh, because it was late and you should be tired now as well but you're actually old okay
0: I am very tired but here's the thing I'm going to be really, really tired afterwards because I'm I'm trying to keep it, trying to keep the energy up at the same time as kind of going my bed's just just through
1: there I really appreciate it I appreciate it. Oh don't worry Uh, about it Next time we'll try to do a bit earlier because earlier works for me as well
2: Yeah, I mean my thing was just for us all to get on a call it might only be 30 minutes, whatever don't do that again. Always punch the microphone when talking, it always helps (laughs) (laughs) It was just for us all to have an introduction because I think, really, with Degsy and Zorro here, you guys have the same kind of ideologies, and it's good to share this. And you both suffered. Um, I use the word suffering lightly oh, okay. as well. Okay, so, so what's
0: happened here is you're in the middle, and you're now saying that you know that Zorro and I have got the same problems.
2: No, we've all suffered from mental health, right? All of us, in one way or another. Of course, we have. That's, that's the whole point of it. The pair of you have had to work with me. <laughs>
0: No, you see, well, I was going to say that's the point. You see, here's the thing, because we were talking about this the other day and um, in fact, I mentioned it It was on one of the episodes of the podcast and and you messaged me and you said something along the lines of, oh, you've never said that. You've never said anything like that to me. I was like, no, you're absolutely right. I've never said anything sort of actually positive to you. But um, I have been doing positivity in different ways, you know, like when I was... um, I don't know if Zoro knows this um, particular story about the messages you were getting while your mother was being interred. Um, yeah, nope. he, he, he was he was he was sitting in the funeral and his phone was buzzing in his pocket because I was sending him messages along the lines of, um, "I am proud of this, by the way, because of because of uh, Red's particular history with his mother." Um, uh, I was sending him messages that said,
2: "Ding dong, the witch is dead." Um, He's it's got to be taken in context, correct? And, You know. <laughs> In any other way, it sounds terrible. But, you know, when you need a little bit of a smirk and a little bit, you're on that edge, and we all know what their edge is, right? That edge is between, you know, absolutely not being able to breathe and having a panic attack and seeing a little message like that. And it's just like, oh, yeah, that's... It's funny because it's him. And it cracks a smile and the blood pressure goes down, anxiety goes away. And I, you know, I'm not looking for a, re- a relief or looking to escape. No. It, it, it's, it's, the timing was weird. <laughs> yeah. um, really weird, but also really perfect, because yeah. I'd been sitting in that cremation centre, and I just wanted to leave. I just wanted to leave. And everybody was had their own grief to deal with, right? My grief is yeah. very different. My grief was different than anyone else's, but everyone else's is different as well. But they could share because there's a commonality of being local. I'm not. And... I just, I just wanted to leave. And I was keeping looking back at the door and I'm like, I want to get out of here, right? Mm. And, you know, and I just remember looking down and I was wearing my kilt and I had my spawn on and I just remember just feeling the buzz in my spawn. And I was like, oh yeah, my phone's in there. And, and I'm like, I got to I, I know this is inappropriate, but I'm just going to open my spawn. And uh, I, I turn it on and, and I see the message from, from Degsy. And I'm like, oh, what's he saying? <laughs> Click. <laughs> Right. And in that moment, it just went. The anxiety just disappeared
0: and of course it had the it had the, um, the knock on effect though didn't it the, the knock on effect to it all was uh, because you were then in that particular moment in that particular environment and you were uh, undergoing that particular stress um, and you had that text that came through and you started laughing it, it encouraged your shoulders to start shaking and everyone around you thought you felt a different emotion because from what they saw was
2: you know you were, you were shuddering but they didn't realise you were shuddering with laughter I was shuddering because I'm in the front row as well everyone's behind me and that, that made me feel really difficult as well and there was two V seats next to me and I'm right at the end because, you know, uh, my, my family should have been there, or was meant to be there, um, but you know, they weren't um, but after that message it really helped me kind of establish a sense of reality and enabled me to just take myself away from the situation for even a microsecond, but it was enough for me to reset everything and then with the heart rate lower the blood pressure lower, the whole level flame playing field I then looked around and I started noticing what other people were doing mm. and I started thinking why why are we doing this as a species uh, as a culture mm. that's the kind of way my brain started going all the emotional stuff switched off the logical just 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 flew in and there was one one bit I remember as as we're moving the the mother's uh, coffin right uh, uh, and and moving it in and and I could see both my brothers were really upset And I I had an emotionless face. And I'm like, I need to think something here. But my brain was completely empty because I'm just just observing everything around me, observing how everyone's reacting around me and all this emotion. And for once in my life, it wasn't affecting me. It wasn't affecting me. And I remember looking down at the coffin and watching it go in and I'm like, oh, there's a brass plate on that coffin. I wonder (laughs) if that melts. What a detail. I know it's... It's weird, it really is, but it helped me just establish a mental state that I could operate at, and yeah. after that, the whole day was absolutely perfect. It would have been what my mother wanted, but yes, and I think it was really interesting because beyond that point, once it was all over, I I had a moment. You know, I I, I was perfectly fine. You know, I could see others and comfort others and make others feel better because I was in a better place for the. For just the sake of one message. Mm-hmm. Interesting, that, not it? Yeah. But the reason why it worked, it brings me sort of circuitously
0: back to the point I was making at the start of it, the reason why that message works is because um, although the, how long was it, two years that you and I worked together um, wasn't particularly long, it was quite intensive. And um, I don't know, we, we just sort of, um, I, I don't even remember how we became as close friends as we are. Um, but it was in a, such a short space of time and it happened so intensively that it was kind of like when you then announced that you were going to be leaving the country and moving somewhere else it was it was hard because it's like well this guy that i've just got to know a couple of years ago that I'm, you know we we really clicked in different ways um you know he's one of those friends for life sort of things and he's he's, he's just about to leave and go away that's why the message worked because i knew that was the absolute perfect thing to say at that exact perfect moment. In fact, I timed it because I knew you said when, what time to funeral started. So in my head, I'm going, right. So I said it started at 11 o'clock. So that would be 11 o'clock, 10 minutes of preamble, maybe sort of about quarter past, maybe even sort of about 18 minutes past 11. That's the time to send it. Because that's when they'll be eulogising about what a wonderful woman she was, what her life was, and so on and so on. I thought, perfect, let's send it then. So eleven eighteen. Dilly dilly diddly, diddly doo, bing, sent it off. Um, he didn't reply for a long time, which is the worst you can ever have to saying something as awful as ding dong, the witch is dead when the guy's burying his mother. Um, he didn't reply for a while. And then when he did reply afterwards, um, he called me a few obscenities, which is fine. But they were sort of like man to man joking obscenities, kind of like, are oh, you stupid? Nah, whatever. Fancy texting me that in the middle of the funeral. Um, and then sort of another hour goes by and he goes actually that was the most perfect thing you could have texted because it brought me down and fixed all the anxieties now i didn't know he was having those at the time because i think you'd only mentioned them to me um you'd mentioned about these um tablets or pills that you were taking um you'd mentioned that literally about the week before i think um so i wasn't even aware you were you were suffering from that sort of thing um which again leads into the whole thing of We've, we've talked at length, you and I, and obviously I'm meeting Zoro for the first time, but you and I have talked at length and at no point have you ever mentioned that you're, you're suffering from stuff like this, that, that that's happening to you on the daily basis, that may even be happening to you now or has happened to you before, earlier today. Um, and you're just swallowing that into your own life and not letting anybody else know about it. Fair enough. Not a lot we can do to help, but knowing that you're going through it makes a difference because you know we start to look at things differently we can we can over analyze some of your behaviors and think oh he's done that because of this you know but it's that i don't know it's it's that that silent voice that is is there but not speaking and we just you know i don't know whether he's ever mentioned any of that to you zoro
2: but i I think it's it's (laughs) it's one of those things you have to have
1: someone to talk about talk to sorry So that's what something I was going to kind of mention as well. So when I was going through my, um, I guess, my period of anxiety, it was a lot of it was, you know, I'm I'm very self-conscious and I guess a lot of trial and error. I was trying to determine or understand what is this and how can I kind of find a way to get over it. Um, So initially, you know, some of the experiments led to gaming. Um, You know, every day I would game with friends and it gave me that escape, right? My mental my mental capacity was kind of detached from the emotional um, anxiety that I was going through. So for a while, um, I was indulging in activities which would kind of give me that separation. Right. Um, but what really got me over the line is I, I just started to open up to people, you know, open up to my close ones and say, you yeah, know, I've got anxiety. Yeah, you know, I'm going through something right now.
0: How did you know it was anxiety, though? I mean, did because this is as I said earlier, um, somebody's not accused, but someone is of the opinion that I may be, I may have depression. But I've already talked about it in an episode that I don't know what depression is. How
1: did you know you had anxiety? What were the sort of markers and symptoms? Well, I guess on a daily basis, right? When I when I was awake, um, when I was asleep, it was fine. But as as soon as I was awake, um, you get this kind of very mental sensation that something's going to happen to you, right? At times, I'll think I'll get like heart palpitations. I'll think I'll be going through some heart palpitations, but physically, I was fine. Um, Always on the edge, you know. So there was a lot of things that were happening constantly. Um, It wasn't like it would come and go. I would constantly be in a state of anxiety. And I know that that was not my normal state. I know that... Why I was going through something,
0: but anxiety tends to lead to anxiety as well, doesn't it? Because
1: then you become anxious about being anxious, and it can be a bit of a spiral. Well, that's the thing. I, I was constantly in that spiral. It's not that I had, you know, a time where it was down throughout the day. I was constantly going through it. As, as at the moment, I was consciously awake. I was going through it. Wow. Um, when I was again, when I was sleeping, it was fine. Hour when I found that escape through games, mm. uh, that got through it as well. Um, but I, I couldn't shake it off, right? I knew that these were just escapes, but it wasn't really dealing with the issue. Right. Um, and when I started to, to discover... And I was, I'm was, i a bit of a stubborn guy. I, I refused to go on any form of medications. I didn't really... I don't like GPs. Um, <laughs> I just feel that my experience with them don't really you know, resonate. Um, not that I'm judging their qualifications, but for a person like myself, I'm more of a, you know, I like to go down through the natural path of things, um, more spiritual healings and things like that. Mm. So, the Western style of medicine have never really, you know, really helped me in any way. Mm. Um, i have kind of deterred from going down that route. And Yeah, I just came to discover that, you know, I'll start to open up, I'll start to talk to people, my close ones, my friends, my family, and then, you know, every time I'd open up, they'd be like, you know what, it's going to be fine, you're going to get through this, don't worry about it, so... Was
0: it difficult to open up in the first place, though, because I often find that it's that first moment of, yes, you've you've realised it for yourself that you're going through this, was it difficult to choose who it was you wanted to say it to the first time, you know, the first person you mentioned it to, Was was that a difficult choice?
1: Um, thankfully, I have like, you know, it's one of these sayings that my old man would say, you know, consider yourself fortunate if you can go through life with one friend. Mm. And I'm like, I have a ton of friends. What are you on about? Mm. And he's like, no, a true friend. Mm. And you know what, what I mean when you grow old and, you know, you will have the journey of life. You understand what a friend is actual yeah. or what it means to have a friend. Yeah. Um. So, thankfully, I do have that friend. And it's very easy to open up, you know, with, with that particular person, but it's just not knowing what is it? What am I going through? And like, I know that people won't know what that is. I'm, I'm quite young. I don't think a lot of people in my generation actually went through anxiety. I don't, I don't know at the time. I don't think that many people did. They seem to have quite a normal, functional life. Was that true or was that just perception, do you think? Well, here's the thing. I was going to say, it's it's how you perceive things in life, right? Um, I think it was true until I opened up. And then later in the years, I've discovered, you know, people within my circle that they end up going through anxiety. And then, you know, I'll, I'll be able to kind of counsel them as they go through it wherever I can. But yeah, it's, it's just more that discovery and understanding what I had and whether I, it was something that I could translate that to someone. Mm. And I said, you know what? just going to start talking about it and that's where it kind of start to feel where i was talking about earlier it was a constant anxiety and I, it was constantly in the spiral i'd have pockets of kind of peace and tranquility and calmness okay i'm like okay then maybe this is the way and then i'll just start to talk about it more and more and more until it just you know overcame my anxiety did you get to the bottom of what it was that was causing
0: it in the first place because anxiety tends to come from uh, it can come from a multitude of places can't it? I mean because it could be like like for example I might be anxious about how I come across or I might be anxious about what people might be thinking about it. Uh, the classic one is always what are people thinking about me behind my back? What are they saying about me? What do people actually think of me? Um, and that's one that's one that you, you, you'll never get to the bottom of because no one is ever going to tell you their honest thoughts and feelings about what they think about you. Yeah. But was there one sort of particular overriding thing that when you talked about it you kind of went that's the key one that's the one that's setting off all the other
1: anxieties well thankfully i didn't really care for much what people said about me um you know that's that's such a typical thing of my mother's generation right and i would i would say to my mother i would say look are these people putting food on the table are they in any way providing for you if not then it doesn't really matter what their opinion has, is or what they have to say and you should not let that into your house
0: no, and also they've not lived your life, so they don't
1: know what you've gone through, and they don't know how you've got to where you are. Exactly. For me, uh, one thing that I've kind of discovered about myself over the years, I tend to be of a uh, have a nature of where I'm kind of caring and, and try to, you know, if I can in, in my capability alleviate someone's stresses, I'll try to do that. Uh, and I'm talking about emotionally. Uh, yeah. I'm not saying to physically do it. And I kind of take on people's emotions, and that's where I discovered. I took a lot from my mother, as I mentioned. She would, she'd go, she had gone through a lot of years um, with anxiety and depression, and I took a lot of that from my mother. Um, but that's where I discovered I had to kind of move away, and that's where I kind of made the decision to move out of home, uh, which is not really common, you know, in a in a Middle Eastern family kind of thing. No. So I just had to do my own thing I moved out sorted myself out and just started to live my life the way that I think you know I should, I should live without the influences of others affecting my mental state and ability mm. and that's yeah that was my journey that's, that's just how I got through it so um, I'm assuming by that then um, you, you don't really suffer
0: from anxiety as much anymore
1: look I think everyone goes through um, some level of anxiety still because life is quite stressful mm-hmm. um I think especially with the way we, um, the modern man lives is not, you know, it, there's a lot of, uh, I think, there's not a lot of ways or an outlet to kind of become a man. You're very confined into sort of like society, how they think they should, that you should live. Yeah. Um, and pretty much shut you down a bit. So I would say, I'm not going to say that I don't have anxiety, but it's not how it was when I was actually suffering through my my anxiety journey, I don't have a panic attack as I used to. No, um, okay. I So I, I, I am over that stage. Mm-hmm. Um, I won't, the current anxieties that we live in today, it's not the same, if that kind of makes sense. Yeah. I would say I am over it. Okay. I may get it in the future. I don't know. But I know it was kind of like a uh, a learning mechanism, right? And I think the human race is quite resilient yeah and you learn from your experiences and i think you know if if something does come to me in the future i'll know how to kind of get over it quite quickly
2: yeah and it's that recognition that when you are in a situation like a panic attack would occur you know what to do because i remember the first one i had i just didn't know what this was i really didn't know how to react yeah subsequent ones after that i'm like oh yeah you know this is an issue and i'm like you with the medication thing but i was prescribed medication and I do not like taking it. Like yep. it is there. I call it the break glass, which is you know yep. but it's that break glass, the alarm will sound, right? But it's that sense that I've got this pill here that would just get rid of it. But I don't like taking it because it knocks you out for twenty four hours. Yeah. It it really does, but it stops a panic attack. So yep. I'd rather find other ways to alleviate any panics before they start. And I think but the whole conversation we have is talking to people. Yep. Right? You know, I always have this thing in the morning, if I have an issue or I need to talk to someone, generally, you know, Degsy gets it, right? And if I'm coming back from a social event late at night, I'm calling you Zorro. You know I do, right? (laughs) If something is getting me hyped up, I'll call you. You might not even know the reason why I'm calling you. We might talk about nothing to do with what's upset me or getting my anxiety high, but I reach out and call. And I think that's something that we do need to do more of. We need to be able to have a good friend group that we can reach out. I'm lucky with, with, with you two because I've got you different sign zones, which it really is great for me. Well, yeah,
0: it's, it's, it is it is it is great for you. But uh, let me just ask Zorro while he's here. Do you get the drunk texts <laughs> as well? Because I, I often wake up to, oh, man, I've had too much to drink again.
1: I think I've... Them a couple of times oh my god okay you're well, this. I, I, yeah, I just laugh it off it's it is what it is well as a, as a first generation Aussie
0: you're probably quite used to drinking aren't you it's part of that culture isn't it yeah a lot of people drink
1: yeah, yeah. I've had like calls in the middle of the night or early morning depending on how you see it mm. um, and I answer the phone I'm like are you okay what's happening do you need help and he's just some my friend's passed out somewhere on the sidewalk somewhere and just like wanting to tell me how much they love me, and I'm like, okay, yeah, I can go back now, kind of thing.
0: I mean, I've I've talked about that in an episode as well about because um, I I witnessed that behaviour where uh, I've recognised in myself, and that's what a lot of the episodes have been about. It's been about things that I thought, well, okay, that's definitely something that plays on my mind. That's a behavioural trait that I know I do and I can't control. And so there I am in this pub and I'm watching these two guys saying goodnight to each other. And it was the longest goodbye I've seen any two people ever do. I mean, even in the movie world, it was the longest goodbye ever and it was all, yeah, next Tuesday, yeah, yeah, well, definitely, we've just got to get to, man, I've missed you, I've missed you so much, we just need to hang out a bit more, you know, love to the family and all the rest of it, um, and five, ten minutes later, they're still going, yeah, you know, big hugs, big love, and all the rest of it, and I thought, yeah, okay, now say it when you're sober, because I don't think you can, and I think that's one of the problems, but, you know, it, it it's that question of, uh, is it sort of generational, is it perhaps, um, tapping into the whole boys don't cry thing you know all that stuff um, that men just aren't able to voice their emotions in the same way without feeling unusual about it um because I recently felt quite awkward about something that um, a friend of mine his father no friend of a friend his father has died um so my friend was reaching out to his friend and basically just being this supportive chap and because he's gone through whatever he's been going through uh, you know he's had a tough time of it so he knows what it's like to suffer grief you know most of us do unfortunately so he was helping out his friend and talking through it and stuff and he said when he saw his friend face to face he basically said um, you know gave him a hug and said don't forget i'm here for you um, and and that, that when he messaged that to me my friend messaged that to me about him helping his friend i immediately just went i do all of that apart from the bit where i say and I'm here for you, because when I see him, I hug him, you know, there's lots of emotion and lots of love and lots of warmth, but I've never actually said to him, oh, by the way, I'm here for you. He knows I am, because he knows if he rings me, if he messages me, he gets a reply, but it was never actually said, and it was only when I saw that written down in a text message to me, in a WhatsApp message, I thought, Mm -hmm. I've done everything but say that, and I Mm -hmm. kind of, that was eye-opener, and I thought, yeah, that's... I mean, the underlying theme with all of these episodes that I've recorded thus far has been just talk. Just talk about whatever you're going through. Just tell someone. doesn't matter who it is, but if you've got someone you can lean on who's going to understand what you're talking about, rather than... Because I think one of the problems with amongst men, definitely, is as soon as you reach out to that particular person to try and talk about whatever you're going through, you'll get laughed at first. Because... That's the standard male response. And I have male friends like that, friends I've known for 20, 30 years that I set a lot of store by. I think they're great people, but I would never talk to them about particular sort of mental health issues or anxiety issues or any other stuff I'm going through. Certain topics I can, but there'll be others that I just couldn't because they're not of that, or they've not demonstrated to me that they have the capacity to understand a man talking to them about emotional things. And it's, you know, it's difficult.
1: There is definitely a stigma around like men expressing their emotion. Mm. Um, I think you know, I'd say a lot of it probably came from previous generations, right? It's like how you how you mentioned it's like boys don't cry, mm. but in reality, boys do cry and boys hurt just as much as girls. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's part of a necessity as as becoming the you know from boy to man. Like you got to know how to kind of build your foundation to kind of evolve into a man. Um, yes there are a lot of men bodies but I still think there are a lot of boys because they never really went through that transition of becoming a man mm. um, and that's why you can't have these conversations because I think anyone who is half man and mature you'll be able to open up to them and they'll be able to kind of understand and reciprocate and assist you with mm. any way they can you know if anything I encourage whoever's listening to you know just open up and, and be you know Just take it as it is and help wherever you can. I mean, at the end of the day, love speaks above all. And if you can show love to someone, they're just going to help them overcome whatever hardships that they're they're living through. Um, And that's all I want to be known for, to
0: be loved at the end of the day. And of course, what you may discover as well is that the person, like I said, I, I, I would be anxious about speaking to a particular couple of friends of mine about sort of emotional side of things. Um, and if I did decide that, you know, that's it, I'm going to start talking to them about something, I may actually discover that they've also been quietly suffering on their own and they've just also not felt I was someone they could approach yeah. just just by yeah. virtue of the fact we met each other when we were 17 years old and, you know, let's be, you know, tough young men and, you know, go through all the stuff that tough young men go through and then, you know, when you come out the other side of it and you're not quite as tough as you, you could be because, you know, life does really kick you in the pants some days. Um, and you just have to, you know, dust yourself down and get up and carry on again. You never know, they might be going through, certainly have different problems to the ones I've got because my problems are my problems, but, um, you know, they might be going through similar issues, you know. Um, I've noticed with a couple of friends that, again, unfortunately, in some cases it requires them to have a little bit of alcohol to loosen the lips, but, you know, I don't hold that against them. But then when they do you do feel that the next time you speak to them you can sort of see a little bit of regret behind their eyes that they mm. that they did open up and you just think, Why? You know, you've not yeah. said you've not said anything I'm gonna use against you because I'm not like that. And I shouldn't have to explain to anybody that, you know, whatever is told to me, it's not gonna be repeated around. You know the old question, everyone always asks, can you keep a secret? And I just think for those people who can't keep a secret, why are you so desperate to voice what you've heard? Why do you think it's important other people hear what you've had told to you in confidence? Whatever the secret is, I've never understood why people can't.
1: Yeah, I think because they want to feel good about themselves. I think I was reading about why people do this, right? And they, they want someone to kind of be on their term and understand and say, yeah, you know what, it's fine. I understand your secret. It's, it's fine with me. I'll keep it safe. But then they know that they have opened up to someone to talk about that and... You know in the future, if anything of that topic comes up again, they're the go to person. Mm. I think that's what, right? Trying to create that relationship with someone where they can share information because it's pretty much putting their shield down, they're vulnerable, right? Yeah, and they want someone to, who they can trust, which isn't going to abuse that you know, I guess that power of knowledge that's mm. been transferred to them.
0: No, I get that. Um, so sorry, Red, you we were going to say something about your father some time ago.
2: Oh, yeah. So my father always said to me, uh, and this is in his uh, recent years, he said you should always have someone to be able to talk to. You know, he calls it um, your guy friends, your guy group. You need to have a big established group of friends that you can go to and talk. He's in his, you know, late 70s now, and and he's found in his life that he hasn't really established that because he didn't think it was important. And now he's telling me, he says that's important you need to do this and we had a conversation about anxiety only a couple of uh, months ago and I told him about the anxiety I had and he was telling me well I've just gone through it as well and because I didn't know how to deal with this stuff I seek medical advice and got the prescriptions I I needed to to combat my anxiety and I said to him as about it and it was really weird to talk to my father about something like that but then he said oh same things happened to me I'm like "Uh aha right Oh, okay that's interesting it was good to hear that someone else is going through the same thing and it was my father but also 25 years older than me right so I'm like okay so let me ask you this question would you have ever thought about mental health when you were my age you know would you have ever considered he said no it was a different world back then I'm like well, what does that mean and he's like well you're almost always working in today's world we didn't have cell phones. We weren't instantly connected with work all the time. You'd leave work at five. You wouldn't hear anything till the next day. And nothing generally would happen because no one else was connected. So, but yeah, that was where I was going to go with that. And it's important to talk about these things. I actually did want to a question, and this is going to be a cultural one.
0: So, uh-oh. Brace yourselves, brace yourselves, this could
2: go down <laughs> um, a really bad avenue When I was in the UK, I always found it very difficult to talk to guys about the stuff you've just mentioned, Degsy About, you know, emotions, how are you feeling, you know, um, that sense of regret in their eye Like, I, in the time I lived in the UK, I never really found anyone that was comfortable talking about emotions non taken, non taken Present company excluded. Let me finish. <laughs> but anyway, uh, but I do find it a lot easier in Canada. I really do. I can go and ask people. Stop and say, "So, are you really okay?" And they they kind of open up, right? I find it a culturally easier than the the UK. So, my question goes to Zoro's. How do you feel it in Australia? Is it easier in Australia to talk about feelings?
1: Yeah, I think it's it's kind of a mix, right? Um, there's, there's two things that I see that's happening. It's generational. So I think the older generations, and I think because you guys are slightly older than me, there's that consensus of, there's that macho man. No, the, the reason why I'm saying this, because I have friends from you know different generations, from older to, to younger. And what I've noticed, the trend in the younger generations, they're more open to expressing their emotions and their generation are more accepting of hearing of people's emotions. Where it is, the higher you go up or the older you go up in that generational chain that's true um, it's just no you don't talk about this. certain things you just don't talk about or you know you can't open up because no one is willing to hear or they're not going to know how to deal with that information
0: or you get told to just get on with it pretty much yes you get told oh, we're all all doing it it's funny because I think it also comes a little bit from you know like a war generation as well because my mother was born in 1936 and she lived through the second world war as a young girl um, and then post-war, it was all kind of like just make do and mend, and you know don't don't worry about it, and try not to sweat the small stuff. But then, also, they didn't sweat the big stuff either by talking about it and worrying about it. Um, I mean, you you mentioned just before about you know the generational thing and that you know the younger generation are more perhaps attuned to talking about their feelings. But then I look at my 19-year-old, and I think he's got to the stage where it's gone full circle to the point where he's now bored of hearing about everyone's problems all the time because people are so vocal about everything they're going through you can't filter the chaff out and he's sort of found himself amongst people where he feels comfortable talking about himself and they feel comfortable talking about themselves around him but he was telling me also about certain other individuals he met at college that just don't stop talking about what they're going through And you sort of go, what is the actual heartache that person is suffering from if they're always talking about suffering? You don't know exactly what the problem is. And eventually, as with anything, you know, we've all been desensitised by the news, and that's the problem with it. If you keep repeating the story over and over again, eventually everyone around and involved in it just gets bored, and they stop paying attention. Desensitised. Yeah. And I just think, and if, if he's going to be in that situation as he goes to university not to keep sort of um, hogging the conversation in this way but when I was at university there was, there was a girl there called that we nicknamed 10 Minute Josie and I loved her I thought she was brilliant she's such a fun person but her nickname was 10 Minute Josie not for any sinister reason other than she genuinely didn't know that how are you was a pleasantry she thought it was an actual question so every time I would go because that's my standard thing hey, Aya you alright how are you You'd bump into her in the morning Hi Josie, how are you? Oh, well, let me tell you And you'd start the stopwatch, click And then ten minutes later she was finished telling you What had happened to her since the two days you last saw her And she was such fun I liked her a lot I liked her an awful lot But I did leave it longer and longer in between Until I realised that the how are you Was the trigger thing about You know, she's probably been the centre of attention In her family, is probably the only child I mean, I'm the youngest of five so if someone says to me how are you I break down in tears because oh you've seen me you've seen I'm here, over here whereas in her case you know she would have been the centre of attention someone's always seen her um, she probably also felt seen as well and um, so when somebody asks her a question how are you for her it's a genuine call and response like I said that's that's the point I was getting to with my son is that if he, be, he he's going to meet someone and he's going to say to that somebody how are you and he's going to get chapter and verse he's going to get war and peace he's going to get the full story on that person's life and then not know what to do with any of it because i think i don't know i don't know about you guys but i one of the stereotypes of men is this whole thing about um when a story is being told to a man he's looking to solve the problem first of all he's looking for the problem and then he's looking for the solution to the problem so, of course, my son's going to bump into someone. He's going to start talking to them. They're going to say, oh, well, you know, I had this happen. I had that happen. I had the other happen. And I'll be honest, Zoro when you were telling the story about, you know, having lost your father, I'm immediately telling stories about what it felt like when I lost my father, because I can latch on to that and I can empathize and I can say, look, look, I've gone through the same thing. And I went through it perhaps at a different time in life. But somehow my son has already got it in his mind that when someone comes to him with a story, he's looking for the problem and trying to solve it. Now, how? where does that come
1: from? I feel that that's a, I don't know, I'm probably generalizing here, but I feel that that's a very male thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's something that's within our markup, right? Because we, we kind of like other fixes or we like to kind of build things, construct things, um, maybe demolish things at the same time, right? Um Coming from, you know, a technical background, quite analytic, we want to find the root cause of everything or we need to go to the nitty-gritty of things just to understand how the whole mechanics of things work. Mm. But that's, I guess, my advice to if you can give people is, you know, that's not what people are looking for, right? Yes, we, we may have that naturally in our markup to do that, mm-hmm. but really, what is it that they want? You know, it could be a simple question. How can I enable you? What is it that you'd like me to do? And sometimes you just you just sit there and listen. Correct. And that's what I want, right? Yeah. yeah. So as you understand that, then you know where you where to play the role. You know your part.
0: Yeah, it it can be a steep learning curve as well because uh, I've certainly learned that with my wife. That because um, my wife is interesting in that respect because first of all she's a woman so she has that thing where she will tell a story that often has very little narrative it's literally just this happened, this happened this happened, this happened, it's all sequential and there's me sitting there listening for what's the problem that needs solving what's, what? where's this going, what's this all about and I get to the end of it and then it turns out there is no problem that needs solving, it was literally just a brain dump, but also <laughs> what she will do is, <clears throat> she'll then counter her comments and then say to me what about you, what's going on with you so then I'll start telling her and then get interrupted with a series of questions and that I find interesting because it's like, well, you wanted to know and you're stopping me from talking. It's just, just like, just breathe. Let me get to the end of a Let me put a period. Let me put a full stop at the end of the sentence. Then you can ask a question. It's like, I'm, I'm partway through a subordinate clause here, dear. I need to put the verb at the end. <laughs> you know, like, just, 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 you know and, and I chat to my sister. My sister's got an interesting way of telling stories because my sister likes to embellishes perhaps not a too strong a word but she does like to doctor the story so that the villains are really bad and the heroes are really good and i do love that line from the beginning of the third indiana jones film where he comes out of the cave and he looks around and everybody's disappeared and he just says everybody's lost but me um you know and you can replace the word lost with wrong um so everybody's wrong but her they're all miserable I'm nice they're all horrible I'm nice you know I'm helpful I clean up I do this I do loads of stuff for other people nobody does anything for me woe is me you know she's the she's the downtrodden um, heroine in her story everyone else is villains and she will have an innocuous phrase which is something like can you help me tomorrow with my horse but when she's telling me the story she goes oh and then she comes up to me she goes can you help me tomorrow with my horse I was like pretty sure she didn't talk to you like that. Certainly not someone who's asking you for help. Then I'm going, right, you, can you help me tomorrow with my horse? It's not going to happen. But that's how she embellishes her stories. And put you know like I said, the villain is a proper dum-dum-dum-dum villain. Every time. And it just it got to the point where I listen to the stories and I just think, okay, I'm I'm sifting out the truth here. And I know what actually happened, and I've got a rough idea how it was said, but for mm. whatever reason, you're spinning that because it makes for a better story, um, which you know is an interesting point. But my wife doesn't do that, and it confuses the hell out of me. She refuses to paint villains and heroines and villains and heroes. She refuses to do it. I don't know where I stand. <laughs> I don't know what to do. Because <laughs> I'm looking for it. I'm looking for what's the problem, what's the solution. And no matter how many times, and you know, it's, it's a good point that you made, Zara, but I don't know how many times I've told myself, just sit and listen, that I can't. But then, you know, I'm a problem solver. But that then means that because of that logical brain that I've got, and you know, trying to work out how to get around it and how to put things in place, I find that my advice is often, it's a solution. Every time I give an answer to a question, it's always,
1: this is what I would do. This is how I would fix that. This is how I would make that happen. Yeah, you kind of gave me a thought. Like, maybe you can tackle it in a different way. Um, picture like you're watching a film, right? Like one of the conversations you're having with your wife. Picture that you're watching a film, and I don't, I don't know what type of learner you are. I'm, I'm more of a visual learner, um, so I'll, I'll probably paint out a picture, right? And and think how the day was going for that person. You know, whether there was trees there, maybe there were birds. You know. A shopping mall, whatever it is, and then just think, oh wow, that's interesting. I picked up. You talked about this red bag. What kind of pattern was on it? You know, maybe just engage in, into that story to kind of give you that more depth to and clarity to understand where she's coming from. Maybe mm. she, that's all it is. She's trying to paint you a picture of how her day was. Yeah, possibly. Yeah, yeah. Not not looking to problem solve or fix it or anything like that. You just aid her in her journey and just enjoy it. I guess. Mm. No, that's true. I'll probably take that advice next time I catch up with the wife. So,
2: <laughs> And I think it's because you and your wife have been together for a long time. She probably expects you to do those analytical traits. And uh, she's like, you know what? I'm just going to do this to keep him on his toes. <laughs> You're always testing. Always. Always testing. My oh. wife is very good at that. She will, She will drop comments in here, there. Just things I may have forgotten to do. And it'll be like, oh, did you? And I'm like, and sometimes I feel really good because I'm like, yes, I did it. There's <laughs> that little bit
0: of euphoria. Uh, and honestly, that that's interesting that you say that because this is something that I've talked about as well. Where um, early on, my wife and I had a conversation. We, we, when you're younger, you get invited out to dinner parties and so on, and you know, friends doing soirees and all the other sound posh sounding things that they do. And um, we realised that young couples and possibly If they don't stop it and realise they're doing it, they'll continue to do it. But um, these young couples would sit there and they would just slag each other off. They'd just have a go at each other. Oh, she took ages getting ready. Oh, he was an idiot. He didn't know which way we are driving. Can't even drive the car straight. She couldn't put her makeup on in time. That's why we're late. We have had to grab a crappy bottle of wine from the petrol station because he didn't pick one up. Little bits of digs at each other, but all night. And, you know, you start chipping away a little bit at the, the fabric of the relationship and the fabric of the trust that you've got because you've revealed your intimate self to that person. They know the absolute worst about you. I mean, you know, Red, your wife could take you down in a heartbeat. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> but similarly, we, we, we found ourselves doing this. So what we realised was we, we came away one evening and we just sort of looked at each other and, and she looked me in the eye and she basically said, I didn't like that thing you said about me. I thought that was a bit strong and I went yeah fair point I said but also that thing you said about me sort of about two hours after that I didn't like that either you know I didn't want people knowing that um, and we just kind of had this moment this epiphany where we just went why on earth did we talk like that why Why did we do that what was the point what are we getting out of it so we stopped because I know her feelings, she knows mine why remind each other of them and it's led to the point where you know we we just got back from a family family holiday. It was just it was just my wife and I. We went on holiday together for a week. And um, it was after we got back that my wife said to me, she "Said oh, I'm glad that worked out." I was like "Sorry, glad what worked out?" She said, "I only wanted to go on holiday with you for a week, just the two of us, just to see if we, you know, how we're going to cope when our son moves out. Are we still going to be a good couple?" And I was like, "Sorry, this was
2: a test." <laughs> Your wife is brilliant. Oh, my God. That's just so... You, you mispronounced the word brutal. <laughs> no, it's just her and, uh, and not, it was that's awesome. Yeah. I wouldn't expect anything else from her. <laughs>
0: I didn't know it was a test, but it was a test and apparently we did okay. We did okay, not I did okay. It was the test of both of us.
1: Past flying colors. That's good. So it would seem... It's definitely good to keep the finger on the pulse even throughout the years of, of your relationship, right? Mm. Um, we bring a good point like putting people down especially like in public places mm. um, firstly you probably shouldn't be doing it at all and I think if anyone's in a relationship where they are putting each other down um, to basically speak up like you, you're there to kind of build a strong foundation and you know have a happy life not, not make it worse for each other right mm. look we, we all make mistakes we all say things we shouldn't have but I think if you can take away those learnings and own up when you've know, made a mistake and learn from that, right? I think that's an important learning mechanism and, you know, to better oneself. I think people should strive generally to be a better person on a daily basis. Mm. So thank you for sharing that actually. It's gonna be with me. And I know that, you know, just a lot of things that just come through my mind. It's like, you know what, I could be a better person. I could do things a lot better and now well, hopefully I can implement that and be that better person.
0: It's nice that you're putting that positivity on it as well because when I was thinking about it, I was thinking it from the perspective of, I have got this gun and it's loaded with all of the worst possible bullets and they're aimed at her and it's me pulling the trigger and I was looking at it from the negative side of it, it's like I know, like I just joked there with Red about his wife could bring him down in a heartbeat, I know that she could say all those things that are equally debilitating to me Whereas you've just said, you know, you've come at it from the aspect of, you know, if, if I stop doing that, I'll be a better person. And yeah, that's exactly, and that, that was my outcome. I had the exact same outcome. I just came at it from the opposite end of me thinking, if I love this woman as much as I'm purporting to do, but I'm pointing this gun at her that's loaded with all these horrible, horrible statements, and I keep firing at her, all I'm doing there is, like I say, I'm chipping away at the fabric of the relationship and the strength of the relationship. I'm weakening it every single time. And what for? you know because at the end of the day I'm curling up in bed next to her after having said these horrible things about her in front of other people that are our mutual friends who would perhaps equally as likely after those scenarios be sat there in their you know mutual beds with each other thinking well that was interesting what Degsy said about his wife wasn't it who'd have thought that about her so um- yeah no it's I do like an organic conversation. This feels like it's been very organic. I'm just looking at the timing now. It's been about an hour and a half I've been recording this, of which obviously it'll get clipped and chucked down.
2: That's probably our longest.
0: Yeah. I'm also looking at the other clock, which says it's 20 minutes past two in the morning.
2: I, I, I really enjoyed this. Uh, Zoro. thanks for coming on as well. I think this has been really organic. We didn't script any of this no. for the listeners.
1: And
0: my most exciting bit was that, um, you know, we've got a couple of IT technicians on the
1: call and one of them couldn't even get the headset working. No, it, it needs more time to kind of troubleshoot get yeah. to the root cause.
2: Correct. Yeah. And the other one broke his, his, uh, his microphone stand. Yeah. At the inopportune moment, you know, but I gotta admit, there's gonna be uh, there's not gonna be many podcasts with uh, calls that are, that are like this. No. The not the fact that we're actually talking about emotions, but the fact that we've done it from three points around the globe. We're coming from Canada, UK, and Australia. That is that is a feat.
0: There's just one final thing we need to find because time-wise, I'm yes. in the middle. Okay, right? Because Zoro's ahead and you're behind, so I'm in the middle. I thought I was in the middle. <laughs> I thought I was in the middle. Well, pe- people wise, you, Red, are the only one who knows both of us individually.
2: So I'm definitely in the so middle. So you're the one in the middle there. <laughs> yeah. So,
0: so where's the bit where Zoro's in the middle? What's he in the middle of? Definitely the time zones.
2: You think? I think so. yeah. yeah. Because Am, I, am I being
0: uh, rude and working it from GMT Zero and thinking, you know, because we invented it, it's it's mine?
2: We, you've been all colonial again. Like, you know, uh, Australia and well, Canada do not follow colonialisms.
0: No, but um, didn't you we're used not- to
1: belong yeah. to us? Didn't we not give you back? <laughs> well, that was way before my time, so. And
0: mine. What? How old do you think I am? I'm not 400 years old. I mean, Craig, I'm looking well for it.
2: <laughs> uh, Rest assured, I'm, I'm definitely in the middle of that as well. Because I'm not as old as you, but I'm definitely not as young as Zoro. Uh, I'm definitely in the middle. This is this is good. Right. I enjoyed this conversation. All
1: right. I'm, I'm happy to give you that
2: Baron. red.
0: Uh, yeah, so you can, you can be the middle oldest,
2: yeah. The middle oldest. I think it's been a really organic chat. I really enjoyed it. I figured getting you two together would be an amazing conversation, and it has been this evening, morning, afternoon. I think it really has. No, I, uh, I think I already said my bit about getting you all together. That was my final thoughts. Zoro, you got final thoughts?
1: I just wanted to thank you guys for inviting me on this channel. Oh, um, you're welcome. I, I hope it's going to be one of many. Um, it was really, you know, I really enjoyed it. I think, you know, building up awareness um, and wherever I can kind of contribute to, you know, your success or mental um, well-being as well. Mm. More than happy to come back again and, and sort that out if I can.
0: No, that's great. Thank you for coming along. The only, uh, because this is how my brain works, just in case it's not come across yet, but my brain always works in opposites and always has done. So whenever someone's mentioning something, I can always look, I I always see the other person's point or I can always see the opposite argument. Uh, It's been great fun. An hour and a half's worth of recording, but one of us has got to go and edit it all. (laughs) (laughs) Appreciate
2: it. I will be happy to watch you.
0: That's my Sunday sorted. Which is already two and a half hours old. <laughs> Although your Sunday's nearly over, right? Are you? Where are you? You're. It's nearly noon, half
1: past eleven. Soon.
2: Okay, well, it's still Saturday for me.
0: <laughs> but technically, a friend of mine said to me, um, "It's not tomorrow until you've been to bed." So it's still Saturday here as well. Interesting. Mm. It's a good. Do you know what? But as soon as he said that to me, I was like. Yeah, that helps in a way because I've always, I, I would look, I'd always—I i look at half past two in the morning and think, oh God, it's already tomorrow. Oh, you know, I'm already eating into the day. What time am I going to be getting up? i uh, always worried about that. And then he just, no, it's not tomorrow until you've gone to bed. Whatever time you go to bed, then it's tomorrow.
1: I just thought tomorrow never came.
0: That's true. One of the better Bond movies. Yes,
2: yeah. that, is, that is true.
0: That's the way to end the episode. Thank you so much, guys. Uh, I'm going to hit stop recording right now.